0: Welcome back on board, Costume Station Zero. I'm Bob Mitch, and today I'm joined by Rachel Ashley Lovelace, who many may know as the TARDIS Bunny from San Diego Comic-Con, um, and if anyone remembers our Morbius skit from Gallifrey, she was one of the Sisters of Karn. So Rachel, welcome.
1: Hi, thanks Bob.
0: Um, so today, let's talk costuming, let's, let's talk rose, let's talk all kinds mm. of good stuff. So, I like to go back to the beginning Uh, what, what attracted you to costuming and what was your first costume?
1: Oh, well, I have to say that I was most intrigued, um, by costuming via watching anime when I was growing up. I really liked, uh, shows like Sailor Moon, which has, which have dramatic transformation scenes and just shows like every piece of the costume just coming together all at once. And that made me kind of feel like hey I could do this or it would be really fun to dress up like that but my first costume that I ever really put together myself was um Willy Wonka from the new version oh, that wow. they made yeah the yeah. Johnny Depp mhm mm-hmm. yeah I found the uh it was funny cuz uh, hot topic was actually selling the coat and I got that um my uncle helped me put together a cane his cane's actually a tube and it's got runts or nerds it's got it's just filled with nerds <laughs> and he uh, actually helped me construct that and put that all together. I tied my hair up, walked around with the whole ensemble, the gloves, the goggles, the coat, the cane at my middle school and everyone thought it was great. So
0: Wow. And uh, what what year was that?
1: 2002
0: So uh, what 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 would you say attracted you to this hobby though?
1: Probably the thing that attracted me most to this was that I felt like it was something that With my own artistic abilities, because I do have some, (laughs) um, I felt like I could analyze the details that I needed to analyze, put myself to a character that I really felt attached to or that I would fit, and do it really well. I really always have had this feeling that if I were to do something, I would do it really, really well. And I think that's what drives me the most, too.
0: So having said that, um when did you progress into some of your other costumes such as uh, your anime characters or Doctor Who?
1: I started out doing very, you know, small things, simple things. I thought, okay, do simple first and then, you know, get into other elements, more complicated characters. And it really took off when I started cosplaying from a show called Macross Frontier, where they have very elaborate costumes, and that's when I realized, like, wow, I really need to be putting a lot of effort into this if I want to make it look good. And um, from that point, <laughs> from that point, I was just like, huh, maybe I should try doing some things that suit my body more, because as you know, anime can be very unrealistic. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> and also, it really just divides into two areas, either, you know, really, really thin characters or very, very voluptuous ones.
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> so I decided, hmm, maybe I better try my luck by doing some more realistic things, and I got into Doctor Who around that time. And I was like, hey, I could do something from here, and along came uh, a couple of cosplays from that, mainly being Astrid and Rose.
0: Awesome. Um, So do you have a favorite costume so far out of what you've done?
1: Um, You know, I always wanted to do a bunny suit. I really always did. I have no idea why and what was driving me to do that. But um, it's kind of like a fun, sexy, but not overly sexy thing to do. You know, if you do it classy, it can be something very fun, I believe. So I really had fun being the TARDIS, actually. That was really something kind of like a dream costume and then just also just getting to be something so iconic, the TARDIS symbol and everything like that. And plus I came up with it on my own. So uh, although I did not sew it myself, I did um, come up with the idea on my own and it was really neat seeing it all come together.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah, no, it was a really great look, really original interpretation to be sure. I mean, there's a lot of girls who do some version of the TARDIS or TARDIS dress, but that was definitely a neat take. (laughs) Thank you. Um, so yeah, actually, it's uh, for those uh, listening. I'll, I'll post a picture, but uh, when she says bunny, she means, of course, the, the classic Playboy Ask Bunny, as opposed to say a mascot furry bunny. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so uh, let's let's actually let's talk a bit about that. Um, how did how did that all come together? Like, what was the, the kind of the process involved?
1: I was sitting down one day. And I was just kind of doodling, and something that I really do love to draw I do love the female figure. I love to draw curves and everything like that. And I usually put them in kind of bunny esque suits when I draw them. I try to just focus on the figure itself. And I remember I was just sitting down there sketching. I was like, huh, well, I've already got the base of something. Let's try adding, you know, different elements to it. So I started to make it look like kind of like a TARDIS. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what? This is really cute. This could work. And it started out with just, you know, doing what everyone else does, you know, copying the windows, getting the police box logo on there, you know, and I was like, wait a minute, this all fits together actually really nice in a scheme. Mm -hmm, Sure. Um, I took the St. John ambulance logo, for instance, and that, you know, being alongside the paper that's on the TARDIS, um, I put that as my button because um, bunnies have a ribbon usually that they wear. So that circle shape ended up being the perfect, you know, button that goes on a bunny suit.
0: Perfect.
1: And the hat, which I've gotten a lot of compliments on and some people actually are trying to find out how to get it, they've been asking Kevin actually to make it for them. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I thought, well, what if I just made this light up and flash and like actually made it a TARDIS, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I also thought, well, I got, you know, all this space on my legs. What am I going to do with that? Why not make it space? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it all kind of just came together, and um, I put the drawing together. I showed it to a couple of my friends, and they were all like, you know what? You should really go for that. And I got a hold of Jessie Pridemore, who is a famous cosplayer. And not only that, she is the person you want to go to. If you want a nice bunny suit, you go to Jessie Pridemore.
0: Wow. And
1: she has gotten it down to a knack. Uh,
0: a, a, a knack or a science?
1: Oh, a science, <laughs> science. She's gotten it down to a science. She has it down to a science. It's just completely beautiful, the things that she can make. And um, she formulated this pattern on her own. Uh mm-hmm. The Playboy Bunny suit is under a uh, huge copyright. You're not allowed to copy it whatsoever. If you get your hands on it, you can't call it a Playboy Bunny suit. It's actually very, uh, there's a lot of strict rules that go along with it. So she kind of came up with this pattern on her own. She has her own methods and I'm not really allowed to reveal how she does it. Sure, But um, it just came out beautiful after months and months of work. And I was able to wear it to Comic Con and I was extremely happy.
0: Yeah, no, it it really stood out. Uh, I thought fantastic. Now, I the thing that stood out I remember um, for me were were those tights, the that space look. Was that <laughs> was that a, a I assume a custom paint job?
1: Yes. Um I actually bought a pair of tights and they it was like a dip dye. Um and what happened was was that these tights started out this bright fuchsia at the bottom and they gradually got to black towards the top. Mhm. So, um, they're called ombre tights and I, I saw them and I was like, you know what, that'd be a really good, um, starting base because yeah, I could have done that myself, but why, you know, cut out the middleman, you know, do make it easy on yourself. So I did that and I just went to the fabric store, bought paint and did what the one thing that I know how to do, which is paint and just kind of you know, made different size dots, some of them comets, some of them, you know, shining stars. Just, you know, tried to mix it up, make it like space, had clouds in there. And at the end of the day, uh, through a lot of tears and um, doubting, why did I do this, why did I ruin these $50 tights that I just bought, (laughs) it ended up coming out pretty good. It looked very nice, I thought.
0: No, it came out great. Um, When you were wearing that I know uh, it got a lot of attention. Now, when, when you were around elsewhere beyond the Doctor Who meetup, did it get a lot of great reaction? I mean, what, what was the usual kind of feedback from the crowd?
1: Uh, it doesn't... Um, it helps a lot to be walking around with Kevin Coppa as yes. your doctor. Yes, yes. I would have to say. But um, actually, I would have to say, sorry, Kevin, but I stole the show from him a bit, actually, at this convention. <laughs> he kind of got his comeuppance for once, and, I, and the companion... The TARDIS was finally the star of the show.
0: If you think about it, really, you were being kind of another form of Idris, right?
1: Yeah, re- yeah, that was the thing. I was like, is everyone going to think I'm Idris? Are they going to think I'm the TARDIS? I was wondering, like, what happened to other TARDIS cosplayers when this would happen. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but um, everyone was like, it's the TARDIS. It's a TARDIS bunny. Oh, my gosh, it's so cute. I want one. You know, everyone was, some people actually came up to me and said, Jesse Pridemore. She made that for you, right? And I was like, whoa, Uh... (laughs) that's really weird. Why do you guys know everything about this costume, you know?
0: (laughs) The small world of cosplayers.
1: I know, right? That can be something kind of scary, but, you know, it ended up being fine. It was a lot of attention that I really appreciated, and everyone was just very, very nice to me.
0: That's great. That's awesome. Um, Along the same lines of of Comic-Con, do you um, consider that your favorite costuming event or convention? Or do you have another one? And you could have different ones for different reasons.
1: Um, I definitely, that was my first Comic-Con. I'm embarrassed to admit, but it's the first time I've ever gotten a ticket and the first time I've ever gotten to go. And um, I've been dreaming of going to Comic-Con for many, many years now. And I was just so ecstatic to go. And it really was a great experience. It's Unfortunately, I've had a lot of bad con experiences. Ooh. I won't get into all of them. Maybe we will get into some. But um, that was really a, a convention where nothing went off with a hitch. And it was just a good experience. So, yes, Comic-Con. And for the people, I met a bunch of amazing people. Nathan Fillion was one of the people that I did meet.
0: Yeah, and, Captain Mal.
1: Uh, and that was great. So, I just so much... So many unbelievable things I could never thought would happen to me happened at Comic-Con. So I really did enjoy Comic-Con. And I really enjoyed Gallifrey, which is where I met you. I met Kevin there. I met a lot of people that I'm now friends with. So I'm really grateful for going to Gallifrey, and I'm really grateful for going to Comic-Con, I'd have to say. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I've always said that this hobby is a great way to meet people and, and find people of like minds, both in terms of this craft and in terms of wearing your fandom on your sleeve, so whether it be Doctor Who or, or superheroes or I don't know, Star Wars, hey, you're gonna immediately find something to talk about, right? So,
1: yes, but, of course.
0: Yeah, great way to make friendships, I'd always say. And it's just a much more interactive way to attend conventions. Um, so, along those lines, do you have a uh, best convention or costuming story?
1: Two come out at me immediately. Um, when I was at Anime Expo a year ago, which is the last time I've been to Anime Expo. But um, I joined the, ma- the maid cafe. They had a maid cafe going on there. And if, for all of those who don't know what a maid cafe is, it's when a bunch of girls dress up in maid costumes and they're cute maid costumes, not sexy ones. And we, they all go to their own table and you get a bunch of guests and you act as their hostess. And you play games with them, you talk to them. And at this maid cafe, I was really involved in doing a lot of the picture editing and and a lot of just things behind the scenes. But I was also involved in the band that we had. We had a live band that actually happened at um, the Maid Cafe, and something that I really do love to do is sing. And uh, it was my first time ever performing, and I sang a song from Mega Man, Cool. and it was in Japanese. I memorized all the words and everything, that's something I like to do also in my spare time. And I got up on stage and with the guitar and keyboardist and, you know, and the drummer just, you know, we played the whole song ourselves. And after every performance, I would get off the stage and people would just be so kind to me. And they would just say, that was amazing. That was wonderful. You have a great voice. People would cheer for me when I was on stage, you know. It really was like such a sweet and wonderful experience. I really enjoyed that, and I don't think that's something I will ever forget because it really did make you make you feel like a rock star, you know. <laughs> of
0: course, of course. And and you you say you learned uh, the lines what just phonetically.
1: Yeah, um, you know, something about Japanese is that the pronunciation, as long as there's a few tweaks to it, but it's very close to a lot of the words that you would say in English, Mm -hmm. so they can write it out in the Romaji, which is, um, translating it phonetically into English, um, and you can just memorize it that way, which is the way that I do it, because I do not know Japanese. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, so I had a lot of fun with that, and I guess the second experience that comes to mind was that, um... I At Gallifrey, I met uh, my boyfriend, Kevin, and he's a great person, and I'm really glad that we have that opportunity to meet in person and then further continue our relationship down the line. So, those two instances stick out at me a lot. Uh,
0: convention love stories.
1: Oh, <laughs> oh no.
0: <laughs> no, we don't need to go sappy, but that's great. That's really awesome. Uh, so, I guess... On the flip side of that, uh, do you have any? I always say, worst convention experience.
1: Yeah, there's definitely a, a dark side to cosplay. I'd have to say. <laughs> <laughs> I laugh as I'm thinking of all my experiences and which ones I could pick from. I on the serious side, I have had some experiences that you know I deeply regret having because. Um, I feel like we can get caught up in this hobby sometimes so much to the point where you can actually lose friends over it, which I find amazing to this day.
0: I somewhat know what you mean, but a lot of this ties not so much even strictly to this this hobby. I think in any uh, community human endeavor, um, there's going to be human drama and human ego that comes into it. And to me, that's the root of the problem right there. But yeah. that's who we are. <laughs> and
1: fortunately, the convention is some sometimes where we let loose to a point where um, we can make mistakes, and I've had that happen with a few of my closest friends, unfortunately. And um, I'm, I'm this is not meant to say anything bad about them, or you know, bad about the experiences in general. But there's some things that I wish would have never happened because I really regret not having those people in my life anymore. Mm-hmm. But on a lighter note, I do have a story. Awesome. Would you, would you like to hear it?
0: Of course.
1: This one I would have to say tops the charts as um, bad convention experience. I will name no names. Uh, <laughs> Just the facts, man. I will call. I will call him John Smith. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> anyways, I went to a convention with my friends, and we were going to be staying in a hotel by ourselves, and um, ooh, like adults. <laughs> <laughs> right. But um, we had. A small amount of people in the room, and they had known someone online that was looking for a room, and they said they wanted to be good Samaritans and give them a spot in our room.
0: I've been there before many a times. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we could swap and, stories. Go on.
1: Uh, and he was a nice guy. There was nothing wrong with him. And he got in the room. We were doing our own things for the first night or so. And then the second night came around, and we all wanted to let loose and, you know, started, you know playing a drinking game, something like that. And he was out having his own fun. Uh, as the night went on, and we were all just, you know, it was very chill. This was not like, you know, chug, 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 everyone get drink and get drunk. But um, midway, uh, he came into the room, and I guess he had already been drinking for a little while. Uh-huh. And um, we didn't know this. And we were still playing the drinking game and but we were all settling down. I myself, you know, I'm not really a big drinker. I'd had like a couple of drinks, and I was just like, eh, you know. I'm done. Shouldn't be doing this anyways, right?
0: <laughs> hey, you're pacing yourself. It's all good. I'm
1: pacing myself. And so he came in and he started, you know, going kind of hard at it. And I was like, oh, maybe, you know, he just was out all night and he wants to relax too. We all hit the hay soon after that. I won't go into the details. Because they're not pleasant. Mm -hmm. But I woke up to a strange sound in the morning. And I did not know what it was. Uh, My friend was next to me. Lying down next to me on the bed. My girlfriend. And she and I had both heard the noise. And we were staring at each other. Wondering what was going on. I turned on the light. Only to see that this boy. John Smith. Had thrown up. Peed. And pooped all over the floor in our luggage.
0: Whoa. Yeah. Whoa.
1: (laughs) It was everywhere.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: I'm not over-exaggerating. It was the worst thing that's ever happened to me in my life. I was shocked. (laughs) (laughs) It was the worst way to wake up ever. And luckily, if my designer $80 shirt had not been hanging out of my luggage to protect it from poop falling all over it, (laughs) Uh all of my costumes would have been pooped on.
0: Ooh. Yeah. 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 Not sure if that dry cleans out, yeah.
1: I'll tell you right now, Bob, that it doesn't. And ammonia doesn't work too well either.
0: Ooh.
1: So, as a warning to all of you out there, don't room with people that you don't know. And on top of that... Be really careful of your hotels. Make sure to check the floors and the beds. Always.
0: I hope he was at least apologetic afterwards or something or offered to Oh, yes, he was.
1: He was mortified. We believe that he blacked out. He paid me in full for my damages, which is why I'm not going to mention his name. This is not meant to humiliate him any more than he deserves to be humiliated. I feel like since this happened to me, I have the right to pass on the tale. Nor is it something that I feel personally embarrassed for because I don't take responsibility for it. But sure. I thought I'd share it all with you as a warning. <laughs>
0: wow, yeah, that's definitely a warning tale uh, for the uh, yeah the, the side of uh, convention going that most people know of if they've done this. But if they haven't, they might not be aware that, hey, the, the roommate situation. And, yeah, stick to people you know if you can. And, hey, I, I have room with strangers and for the most part, it's it's gone fairly easily. I mean, you know, I'll usually call them on the phone, or we'll talk a lot. You know, an email. I get a fair sense of who they are. And sometimes I'll be honest. You're just you're just kind of desperate. You need someone to fill that slot. Of course. So um, I've generally been lucky, but yeah, I completely.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. You can laugh. Everyone does.
0: <laughs> oh man, the uh, uh, sympathy, sorry for me, man. Wow, that's uh, <laughs> that's rough. Yeah. Um, so uh that uh that that to me sounds like a a bit of a tragic convention story. Do you do you have a uh, an actual costuming story to to add to this? Uh even if it does qualify as funniest?
1: Um yes, actually I do. Um another story experience from Maid Cafe as I told you I was performing on stage. And um you know being a maid and being cosplaying anime they're very judgmental people don't usually like it if you don't wear wigs believe it or not they get very uppity about that and i'm kind of someone who gets that way as well so i'll admit that so i had a wig on but i'm rocking out on stage and i'm you know trying to get the crowd all riled up and it's working it's all going fine i get to the last note because i'm singing so hard i'm losing air so i went down to take a breath And as I'm bowing my head, my wig flies off into the audience, (laughs) (laughs) lands on someone downstage and they're just like, (gasps) you know, and I just kind of just kept going and pulled off my wig cap. I was like, yeah, whatever, you know, and it was just really silly, but that's, (laughs) that's as silly as that one gets, I guess.
0: That's uh, that's that's a classic uh, stage mishap. Yeah, I, I've never had that happen to me. Of course, I don't usually wear wigs when I've done stage work, but uh, yeah, I've, I've seen it happen. Uh, you know, just kind of laugh it off. Hopefully, it happens in a comedy. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> all, all, all part of the show, folks. Um, so, uh, you know, talking to maids, uh, let's talk a bit about your Astrid costume.
1: Oh yes, um, I alongside my friend Tina Doan. She is a good friend of mine, studying at. Uh, uh, FITM, which is uh, art school. Um, she, the fashion school, excuse me, but she uh, she put together my costume. I talked to her about um, doing this Astrid costume. It's like, it's a maid costume. You think you could, you know, kind of work your magic, make this come together? Because as you know, a lot of the costumes on Doctor Who are not things you can buy necessarily.
0: Depends on who you're doing, but yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of the, uh, are, there's even a couple of rose outfits where They have been made independently. They're just costumes. They're not things that were sold commercially. They're just they were made for the show. And Astrid's dress was one of them. Mm -hmm. And so you know anyone who's ever done Astrid or a a character like that knows that they have to put it together themselves. And um, there were some details on her costume. Uh, The ruffles along her uh, her her dress and her apron are a very specific kind of a ruffle. And the way that we actually had to do it was that we had to tie wire, fishing line actually, around a bottle, heat it up in the oven so that it would get this curl. Mm. And then you sew the ribbon yourself onto the wire. And you take that, you sew it onto the apron, sew it onto the costume. There's a lot of small details on Astrid that were actually very complicated for just su- for such a simple dress, you know?
0: Right, yeah, I was just thinking that, sorry. Uh, I mean, that this this ruffle's going to give you so many headaches.
1: <laughs> it did, actually. It was a very stressful night of going to Walmart at 12 in the morning many times.
0: So uh, was that what you would say is the most difficult part of that costume, at least for you?
1: Um, yeah. Astrid, I would definitely say, as funny as it sounds, was probably the hardest costume that I've ever had to put together because of just so many small details and the lack of of references and the lack of, you know, people having the same experiences going through this costume. You know, you you look at Rose, you look at the doctor, you know, there's so many different people trying to do this costume. When you try to do something that's so small scale that a lot of people don't really want to go there or really care about maybe necessarily.
0: So less information available online, sure.
1: Yeah. And you have to kind of come up with it on your own. And um, it can be tough, tough sometimes, it really can.
0: It is kind of strange to me that in this day and age, um, especially with, with new Doctor Who and all of the you know publicity images they tend to put out for the latest episodes, that you say that there was a limitation. There wasn't uh, the, the wealth you needed of, of reference images for that costume.
1: I would say that Astrid has definitely... She's, she's got a good amount of reference pictures, yes. But there's only so much. There's only so many angles. I remember uh, we struggled a lot on some of the formatting of the dress. Uh, like, for instance, her apron stays on the entire time when she wears this costume. For the most part, the apron's on for a lot of the, you know, the only time that you get the apron off is through stills, mm-hmm. usually. And, um, you know, that affects some of the views that you have of the dress, because the dress is actually pleated in a f- few specific areas. And we could not see where it was pleated.
0: So, a solution?
1: So she did her best in trying to, you know, analyze where the darts were going down from the dress to where the pleats would meet up. And she actually just had to kind of go at it free will. And somehow she got it to the, po- to the point where it actually worked out perfectly. She kind of just freehanded it. And um, no, from looking at the stills, from what we could see, it was correct.
0: So there wasn't that much trial and error. It's not like you went through several mock ups to get to that point.
1: No, she something she's very talented at, I would have to say, is that she is good at freehanding it. So I give her props to that. It came together, but it took a long time. We did it really slowly, so we didn't have to go through a lot of trial and error. So we could kind of get it right in the first run, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah do it once, do it right. I always try and say, but sometimes, of course, there's uh, what I was talking to uh, with Vicky Sebring about upgrade-itis. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, how, how are the accessories on this costume?
1: Oh, Astrid? Astrid, um, well, her boots are something that you, you know, sometimes like the shoes or the, uh, um, like the apron, you know, these things that that aren't necessarily the bodywork of the costume, you just kind of have to pick and choose something that'll work. Um, for Astrid's uh, boots, for instance, Uh, There's no brand listed, There's no no one knows what they are, they're just kind of these Victorian looking boots. And I just went on Etsy and I found a pair of boots that actually looked really similar to Uh, them.
0: Good old Etsy.
1: Good old Etsy. If you need anything, don't go to eBay, go to Etsy first. There might be something much better quality and for a decent price that you could find on there.
0: no, I completely agree, and, and it's been a huge help when I've been looking for things like ties or, or you know, boots and stuff like that. What Did you find uh, doing the, the character was a lot of fun for, uh, you know, again, the reaction with the Who fans and so forth?
1: Yes, um, as you know, the progression of New Who is just going so quickly. There's so many 11th Doctor fans, Series 6 fans, you know... Poor David Tennant era is just getting left out in the cold. I don't even know <laughs> with Eccleston, you know, I mean, I mean, geez, he's like, are we up to the North Pole or something? But like even David Tennant's kind of getting frosted right now.
0: <laughs> well, I, I think there's still a decent amount of love for him, but I know what you're saying. I mean, I remember when I first started seeing the, the rise or the the start of the bubble of costuming for Doctor Who in 07, and it was starting to the sea of tens. And by 08 and 09, oh, my gosh, throw a rock, you could hit 20 of them. And <laughs> Now that's definitely the case for Matt Smith. And there's still some 10s, but I'd say the 10s are maybe a quarter of the Smiths. And, uh, yeah, no, that's that's really funny. I was standing in line um, to uh, you know see Matt Smith do his autograph session uh, in 2011 at Amoeba Music and Records. And um, I remember uh, I, I couldn't get the ticket, sadly. I Look, I'm a fan, but I couldn't stay up from 10 p.m. the previous night to, to go get those tickets. But a friend of mine got one and uh, oh. got, got something signed for me, which was very nice of her. And uh, in the meantime, while I was waiting and just, you know, just wanted to be part of the event and check out, you know, take some photos, uh, there was a group of young girls, probably, I don't know, middle school, junior high, and uh, they were so excited to meet Matt Smith and Karen Gillan and, oh my gosh. And I remember one of the girls going like, oh, I'm probably, you know, the one who's been watching it longer, right? Says, guys, guys, uh, y- you've all seen the first Doctor, right? The very first one, you know, the guy with the leather jacket.
1: Oh! Oh, that hurt.
0: <laughs> and for me, an old schooler, part of me went, Hartnell, no, Hartnell, no, Hartnell, no, nope. I'm like... <laughs> Oh, well. Yeah, and to them, Eccleston was the old, uh, ooh, the obscure one, the old one, you know? (laughs) Oh,
1: no. Yeah, unfortunately, the curse of New Who, and I'm guilty of being a New Who person. I was brought in on David and went back to Eccleston, but, oh, that still hurts me. That hurts me so.
0: Yeah, no, hey, you know, it is what it is. You know, it just made, you know... Maybe smile. I was still, it's like, okay, well, you know, at least they're digging it, they're getting into it, you know, whatever, right? And I understand. It's it's the it's the day and age we live in. I mean, I can't imagine many kids diving into Hartnell.
1: <laughs> That's a little, it, yeah. Kind of have to work your way up there. You really do.
0: Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. So uh, I totally agree that you know the 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 current doctor tends to get the most focus because you know it's what people are coming in on. It's the recent episodes. People will see something new. And they'll get all jazzed about it, whether it be the latest Matt Smith, the latest Amy Pond, or um, even a very cool uh, side character or villain. I mean, look at Idris.
1: Exactly. Yeah, see? See, Idris is the new name, any companion that came from Ten series, you know? Mm-hmm. It just kind of just goes... It, You know, everyone's, everyone wants to be hip. They want to be the first one to be doing something. They want to be the first one to be doing it right. They want to be the first one to be doing accurate. So... Sometimes I think they feel like all the characters have been done from 10's time or 9's time or anyone else before, you know, if they even know the old who. But um, I do notice that a lot of characters have been skipped over and only maybe two or three people have ever attempted doing them.
0: True. And even if someone's done it at another convention, there's no reason why you shouldn't do it. Or maybe it's they did it last year. You don't know if they're going to do it the next year, you know. Uh, I, I
1: the barrier.
0: exactly. I, I'm a big believer in, Hey, if you like that character, if that costume speaks to you, just, yeah, man, just jump in and do it. You know, I mean, I understand if you want to stand out and be like, I'm the only one who does this, then if that's part of your motivation, then yeah, keep that in mind. I mean, there's no, there's no real right and wrong way about it, but, uh, oh. uh, it, it just comes down to your, your preference and, and what you want and, uh, what's going to be rewarding to you. Mm-hmm. But along some of the same lines you've been talking about uh let's let's jump into some rose talk here okay all right now you've you've done a version of rose from the long game
1: yes i have
0: uh let let's talk a bit about that before we we kind of you know, touch on some of the variants and, and the the psychology of the the Rose cosplay Ooh. that I that I see <laughs> online. Uh, yes, I I feel kind of nice for once that being more of a Doctor cosplayer and stuff. I just kind of stand back and observe this kind of thing, you know, on the on the DW cosplay uh, live yeah. journal forums. <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's let's do this. So uh, let's start. Long game. How did how did you put that together?
1: Well, long game really came through uh just pure luck. Um as most rose cosplayers know and I've gotten advice from many people to do is that uh the biggest part about finding rose clothing is hunting eBay. And that means ebay.com and for those of you that don't know, ebay.uk, which is the treasure trove of all Doctor Who things. I've found <laughs> So many things on eBay.UK that eBay.com could never give to me. Unfortunately, you have to have a U.K. account. You Uh, have to be able to pay for your things in pounds, euros, whatever. Pay more for shipping. Yep. Mm -hmm. And they don't necessarily send things to America. Now, you can ask the sellers to get them over to America, but they're going to have to list it as an eBay.com selling not an ebay.uk, unless you have, like I said, an ebay.uk account.
0: Or it helps to have a friend in the UK willing to act as a middleman.
1: Yes, Steve Ricks,
0: so. <laughs> <laughs> There's, yes, uh, we, yeah, I, thankfully from being on the forums for a long time and, and helping people out on group runs, I've I've made a number of good friends over there who, who've always uh, been very, very generous with their time and help. But e- even if you don't, there, there are some workarounds and, and some sellers will usually help you out in some fashion. It just means you're going to pay up the nose a bit for the shipping. Yes, yeah. yeah. Big so, time. so, and I and by the way, I would totally agree that even if you're not talking Rose, even if you're talking Amy or certain items the doctor wears, anything really because, hey, they're, they're sourcing it from a shop in the UK if it is a found of course. item. So you got to look in the UK. The chances of finding it here, I won't say are impossible, but we'll no, say not are, at all. are far less likely. Yeah.
1: And the other trick about it is that if you are going to find something from America on eBay.com the likelihood of someone knowing what it is before they sell it is going to be almost hundred percent because they know what they got. They know who wants it. So it's going to be very expensive. Not to say that things on eBay.uk do not rise to a very expensive price, Mm -hmm. even if they don't have Rose in the title or they don't have doctor in the title, but you sometimes have a better shot of getting something way, 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 way cheaper than you would if you were bidding on it on eBay.com where people usually know it's a doctor who item
0: absolutely yeah no and there's something to be said for knowing when people are cleaning out their closets and uh hopefully jumping on a spring clean so to speak when Mm -hmm. these people have no idea about a doctor who connection they're just getting rid of some clothes and changing out for the latest styles which is beautiful when you come across those things or you would happen in a thrift store and oh my gosh somebody gave up this hoodie you know (laughs)
1: exactly and there are a couple of um as the rose community knows of items that you never rarely just it's just so rare to see them even just pop up you mm-hmm. know there's like a small circle of people who we know own them and rather than that like the others are sitting in dumpsters goodwill's in the uk or just someone's closet you know mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we're just waiting for them to pop up again
0: now i know you don't head these up but has it ever been suggested to take these uh, very rare items and look into having them replicated in some kind of a group run
1: Yes, um, there, are, there are some people on the DW Cosplay Live Journal who um, Rose the Bad Wolf is a very well-known person on there. She's excellent. She's done so many breakdowns along with her friend CCO Chocolate. Um, they've done a lot of work on finding the all the rose items, all the elements of rose, just everything. They've also done a good job of getting in contact with Louise Page mm-hmm. and asking her questions. It's been very, very interesting. The feedback that we've gotten from her, and um, they've got they've gotten so many things and pieced together almost all of her outfits entirely. Almost every item identified that a lot of people actually tend to just make their own when it comes to the rarer um, shirts, let's just say like the shirts or something like that, or they replace the pants or, you know, they find their way around it, the things that they can't get.
0: Well, I understand there'd be a certain pride point in finding the actual name brand item, but just like how, you know, there are certain items that um, Ackleston and uh, certainly Smith, uh, and, and even tenant to a degree, but you know, a lot of that suit is essentially, I consider it a custom suit, even though the trousers certainly are not, um, <laughs> that, you know, at least with the doctors, it's very easy to find close enough. So that'll get you by for far cheaper and no one will really call you on it unless they're looking for your tag or a telltale sign of that particular brand. I assume the same goes for Rose.
1: Uh, you know what? I'm going to have to disagree with you. Really? Uh, Yes, the Rose community, as wonderful as it may be and as informative as it may be, can tend to be a little bit of a cutthroat environment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You'd be surprised, as I tend to be whenever I realize things about a fandom. But uh, these girls are very dedicated to not only doing Rose right, doing her perfect Mm. and um you know there are people who can sniff out a fake you know point out a minimal defect and it's not good enough sometimes for a lot of people and um it doesn't really matter in the long run or the long game
0: (laughs) (laughs) screen (laughs) accuracy gone mad huh
1: Yes, yes, yes. Um, there's a lot of screen accuracy. Um, a lot of things that get sold um, are are uh, color. Um, uh, what are they called? Um, the uh, the they're they're an, another color, basically.
0: A color variant.
1: So, yeah, color variant. Thank you. A color variant in a costume. I see a lot of that for the long game hoodie that I own. Um, uh, a lot of the times there will be small differences to the items, but they'll be exactly the same color and cut. Like, for instance, my long game hoodie, it's not supposed to be a hoodie. It's supposed to be a sweater. Mm-hmm. I have a hood on mine. Uh, rarely do you see the correct, the correct color variant with the correct um, sweater form without the hoodie for sale. Hmm. So, you know, you do what you can. You get by with what you can.
0: Well, I, I guess this you know, shows maybe a, a difference there, but outside of the Rose collecting community, you'd think that, hey, you know, other fans at Galfrey One or Comic-Con, they see a girl who's certainly got the, the base look, the silhouette, uh, the basic color palette. And they're going to say, wow, Rose, that's great. And this is where I always want to go back to people um, saying, hey, you know, at least start somewhere, jump in. And, yeah, if you want to upgrade later and you find that great piece and it fits you and you can afford it, absolutely jump on it. But uh, you're saying it's almost like there's there's zero tolerance for people who just want to eek by on a budget version? Um,
1: I think that there's definitely a tolerance level, but it's kind of like that uh... – I think everyone gets a little excited when they cosplay. You know, they're like, I'm going to get to meet this person. I'm going to meet that person. I'm going to do that, you know. And it's very exciting. And you think that you're going to be able to dive into this world of cosplay. This is going to sound so silly. So please excuse me. It's not, not not my ideology whatsoever. But, you know, I think that there is somewhat of a mentality of just, you know, the the people at the top of the food chain are the ones basically who have the real things and they are everyone knows who they are already and <laughs> you know if you don't have that i know it sounds ridiculous but it's true trust me you know if you don't have that they're not gonna really you know i guess want to involve you in their reindeer games is the best way of putting it i have no idea I feel terrible talking about this but you know
0: i think we No, I think this is touching on the drama that can happen in cosplay and and how uh, it it can be, uh, you know, this starts to steer towards negative experiences that that can certainly happen. And I don't think anyone, um, I don't want this to stop anyone listening to jump in. I want to definitely condone this. But then again, I'm not a part of that community. I definitely take kind of a distant view. I'm just a guy who says, hey, I see a rose. And as long as she's hitting one of the Rose looks, I know. Because I know there's a few that I'm not as familiar with. Because you know, I I'm mostly spending all my time looking at the Doctor or you know a character maybe like I don't know um, uh, Rory or Ian or Harry or something. You know. <laughs> and, yeah, of course. And so it's uh, it, I guess it's different. It's different on the other side of the gender fence. But um, yeah, no, I I just I just think that it shouldn't be this way. But I can I can I've seen some of what you talk about. And it's it's really unfortunate. Um, and I, I guess is. I'm trying to trying to do it a little I like, can to say, hey, everybody, just just do it anyway. Just jump in, and if you got to upgrade later, upgrade later. If you really want to be the person to wait till you get everything, okay, yeah, you can do that. But that's just You're gonna not going to have
1: as much fun. You're going to miss out on you know some opportunities of just having fun and dressing up as a character. You know, it should be about, in my opinion, it should be about you know wanting to do the character, wanting to do it justice. But that doesn't mean that you have to be David Tennant. You do not have to be Billy Piper.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: because nobody is in the end, you know.
0: And even if you have the screen accurate stuff, and it is in your size, if your if your height or, or build is a little off. Um, well, guess what? You know, you're no longer. It's not going to look right on you, so to speak. And um, that's yeah. another thing to keep in mind. Um, but I, I don't know. It's this. This gets into minutia of stuff, and I'm just like, hey, you know what? Have fun, jump in, and uh, you know, I know the, the, where the pride comes in getting the actual items, especially when you're dealing with Rose um, and uh, and and Amy. I know we we touched on this before, but we can come back to it. That uh, their costumes uh, have so many found items that it's it becomes almost more, you're right, kind of careful shopping and mm-hmm. assembling than it is making, which, okay, it's another approach to the cosplay thing, but that's why it always puzzles me to hear that, hey, wait a minute, these were off-the-shelf items. You're telling me that there wasn't another make or that same brand didn't do another semi-close version a couple seasons later that's more common that at least gets you by. <laughs> and that's where we lose the signal for this episode come on back next time for the second half of my chat with Rachel Ashley Lovelace, where we'll continue talking rose and cosplay minutia if you have any suggestions or questions just come on by www.costumestationzero.com and I'll be happy to answer anyways this is Bob Mitch signing off for Costume Station Zero